Welcome to the Art and Science of Complex Sales. This is a podcast where we explore how the best B2B sales leaders make the complex simple, drive relationships and revenue, and generally elevate the sales profession. In this podcast, we're bringing together sales experts, thought leaders, top account executives, buyers, industry insiders, all to share their experiences and best practices for navigating the complex sales cycle. So whether you're a seasoned sales professional, a sales leader, or just starting out, you're going to find practical insights and actionable advice that you can apply to your own sales journey. Plus, we have a bit of fun. This is Paul Fuller of Membrane, and welcome back to the art and science of complex sales. Today, I have two kindred spirits and people that I'm proud to call friends, Brian Gray and Meg Kopka. Brian is author of The Priority Sale, and he is ensuring B2B sellers maintain and grow relevance and their impact in the market now and in the future. He's also CEO of Revenue Path Group, which is a full cycle revenue growth consultancy and coaching practice. Meg is a consummate sales professional. She's got expertise and evidence across multiple industries and nearly 20 years in the business. She has an incredibly human-centric and solution-based approach to selling that serves her and her clients very well. Let's get this started. Hey, uh, Welcome, 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 Meg and uh, Brian. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Art and Science of Complex Sales. I'm excited to get started here. I think we can absolutely deliver just an, a fantastic show for everybody. You know, Brian, I uh, we got to know each other and actually connected. I think we connected pretty well about a week and a half ago. And we, we yeah. had opportunity to just go everywhere in sales. And I'm excited just to bring that to, bring that to the people. <laughs> Do it. All thanks right. for having me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having. Thanks for both of you showing up. This is awesome. I one of the things, and I Brian, I'm going to point this to you, is we do this with every every new person on the uh, on the podcast, and we're all in this wacky wide world of sales. Mm-hmm. But getting a common definition is something that we should probably start out at the beginning. So, how do you define sales? Yeah, it's it, that's. That's a really good question because sometimes you have to start by what it shouldn't or what it isn't. You might not get this in my voice, but I actually started selling before the internet. I think I've got age on all of you here. So I started selling back in 1989 when fax machines were like super hot. And here we are today still giving it hell and going after it. But one of the things I think sales is not, it's not about getting somebody to do something that's in your best interest. It's not about being at odds with the prospect. It's not about handling objections. I think that's that might have been how most of us entered the world of sales, which is probably why it has the reputation it tends to have. What I believe sales is really as simply as this. It's the ability to connect your real impact with your prospect's top priority. I'm not saying it's a matching game. But I do believe it has more of a consultative bent to where your job as a seller is to, A, understand the real impact of what you're doing and simply seeking those prospects who are prioritizing what it is you can do for them. And once you see sales from that perspective, it becomes very joyful, it becomes very consultative, it becomes very rewarding, and your margins will improve as well. So Meg, you took a journey and have joined uh, a revenue path group. Recently, how does that jibe with your journey in sales and this idea of connecting your real impact? Like, what is that? Like, how, how does that jibe with your journey? Yeah, so, so Paul, I mean, I started my journey years ago back in the medical device and pharmaceutical industry. And so, after Brian or before Brian? Post fax machine. 
<laughs> Post facts or prefacts? <laughs> we had a little bit of internet. Uh, so, so I was yeah. a little bit. Of could you text? <laughs> um, I could, but it was um, it was like that's when a good benchmark, Paul. A, B C, right? D. My thumbs are my thumbs are huge because I mean I'm just I built them. The you know. Really short too. <laughs> but back then, you know. I, um, but what it ended up, I loved, absolutely love sales in general. I think um, I, my personality naturally lends itself. I'm naturally curious. Uh, I like to ask a lot of questions. And I, I really like to get into like the deep thoughts and uh, what people and are, are really wanting to know, needing to know, so to speak. But then, you know, that industry really started turning into... There was less access, less and less access to these physicians to have meaningful conversations about their patients and what really the outcomes they needed and wanted for their patients. And once that happened, it was like we turned into order takers, coffee delivery, lunch caterers, right? And that's no fun place to be for a salesperson because you're not having a real... What kind of impact can you have when you can't have a real honest, transparent, open conversation, right? And that's what really attracted me to to RPG. The second kind of phase of my sales career, I helped build a sales and marketing recruiting firm. And that really ignited the fire and the passion like in my belly for helping salespeople um, because in every single month and talking to all of these both sellers and sales leadership and seeing that they had they were coming up against these obstacles right these objections these issues in the field but they weren't equipped to handle any of it or to overcome those objections they were finding and even leadership the the companies and organizations weren't providing them the tools that they really needed to be successful so it was really during that point and and I was running the Enterprise Sales Forum, uh, which is a sales networking group here in Boston. And it was to the point where I knew from that point forward, I needed to be a resource to help salespeople because they're just simply aren't, they are ill-equipped and unprepared to handle what is now and will be selling in the future. And that is connecting real impact. Yeah. And so what, uh, it seems like you guys love what you do. Like, why do you love, Brian, why do you love sales? Uh, I, I love it because it's the only career that I found that I'm able to play out visions in my head and help hunt down opportunities. I'm a hunter at heart. I love connecting things for people. To Meg's point of curiosity, I think you can't be a successful seller or get the access you really want without being legitimately curious. And I've, you know, I've I've built teams. I've been a part of teams. I've, you know, built and sold a couple of companies in the past where it was very sales oriented organizations. And I've always loved being on the front side of something where uh, it took someone who could connect an impact to what someone really wants to accomplish. Right. So like like trying new things or selling new applications. So I always gravitated toward that when I was younger, and it's just been part of part of my life. I, I love uh, finding someone's real real challenges and understanding their real threats. So that I could help them resolve that and solve that. So it's it's about being a problem solver, and that's what I've always loved about my career. So you're uh, talking about impact. You're talking about problem solving. You're talking about passion. You're talking about love. You're not talking. What I'm not hearing you say is uh, 
and this is actually, it's fascinating when I talk to the more and more sales, true sales leaders and people in the, the market that have made an impact on hundreds and thousands of lives, right? It's the one thing that I'm not hearing is uh, the transaction, the money. And it's not that that's they, it's not that they discount that or you're in sales to make no money. I generally find that you're the, the great ones are pursuing their passion and pursuing the things like I want to lead, serve, problem solve, connect to impact instead of, uh, and that's what makes them really successful versus pursuing the dollar and the persuasion method that try, they're just trying to say the exact same words. I mean, is that aligned with, with what you guys are seeing in market? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, what we're seeing now, and I, th- I think you're really talking about, you know, what we call the three deadly C's, right? So commoditization, compressed selling time, consensus decision-making, where, you know, we're entering the sale really on the buyer's journey. According to Gartner, it's 83% of the, the buying journey is done before they even want to talk to a salesperson, right? CEOs are not waking up every single morning going, oh, I can't wait till my phone starts ringing. I start getting texts, LinkedIn messages. uh, Unless it's you calling. Oh, unless it's me, of course. (laughs) Because I always have something positive to say. (laughs) That is one of your strengths. My number two strength finder. My number two strength. um, Positivity? Positivity, baby. Yeah, there you go. Positivity is number one, um, which is also... You know, very important when you're trying to make deals happen, bring people together, bring solutions together. But really, you know, this upcoming era of what we call value collapse is when you're coming in at the procurement end of the sale, right? The company is already looking, they've already decided they need a solution. And now guess what? You are just one, two, three, number three vendors that now they're just getting prices from and now they're just comparing and you have lost all of your value at that point you know we really need sellers need to get in earlier at a higher level and right now i think it's a situation where people are getting commoditized all of the time and then you're just one of you know three great vendors that hey who's the cheapest who's the cheapest today i'll go with them Right, you win the business. Um, yeah, I, I think that's one of the things, Meg. You know, you talked about uh, hearing passion and curiosity. I, and if we get to this point of the conversation today, it will be interesting when we look at what the selling profession and career will look like in the next one, three, five, and seven years. The, those who choose to do this for the money will find there is no money left to be made when you're brought into Meg's point at the very end. So that, that I think that the only sellers that will survive this big transformation will be those who are the most curious the ones who could be consultative and like any career in your life that when you find something you passionately love to do there's always enough money to go around right so it's never the money that drives the pursuit it's the pursuit that actually creates the money whether you're trying to create money or not well you found it I mean you wrote a book on this and you founded a company based on this am I in terms of those, you believe that strongly enough that you you took the leap of of founding the company and and then just codifying it in a book. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, and to Meg's point, I mean, I you know, it's it's rooted in a fundamental belief that the biggest current threat that organizations face is becoming a commodity in their prospects' eyes. And what's making it worse? Decision making teams keep getting bigger, 
And they're ignoring salespeople to the very end of the buying journey. It's driving what we call a race to the bottom, right? Driven by the three deadly C's, commoditization, compressed selling time, and consensus decision-making. And sales teams are unprepared and ill-equipped to fight back against these three deadly C's. And it's going to get worse on us faster. As Meg mentioned, Gardner said 83% of the buying journey is done before a seller is even invited in. That's pre-pandemic. People don't want to meet with salespeople when they're shopping. They only meet with them when they have to meet with them. And that's going to be soon be swept away by artificial intelligence to where if you're entering the sale at the last minute like everyone else, there's not much room left for you. The only future and hope in sales are for those who have the ability to get an earlier to higher level with the right decision makers before they've even started shopping. So you won't get there unless you're very passionate about what you do, unless you're very curious about what you do and whether you have a consultative mindset or not. So when I wrote the book, to your point, Paul, I didn't feel the world needed another sales training book or need a, I mean, my God, there's too many thousands of those already. But I think what people did need is some kind of a guidepost to how do I sell in a world where my access has been completely taken away, right? Now with half the people always virtual, we won't be getting in rooms full of all the decision makers anymore. And organizations are completely distracted. And if we can't find ways to get influence and access earlier, right? We might as well just be that commoditized sale, uh, which AI will take over. Yeah. So I had a great conversation the other day with, um, I think you know him. I, I don't know if you don't, guy by the name of Dave Curlin. He, he, uh, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he, he had this analogy that I absolutely loved. He's like, it was essentially, he went to a lot of baseball games, youth baseball games growing up. His son played in youth baseball and he went to a lot of youth baseball games. And the uh, coaching that he would see from the sidelines uh, to the pitcher that was, you know, throwing the ball over the catcher's head or, or, you know, you pitch, it would be, you know, nine feet wide and the coach would yell out, Hey, throw strikes. Right. And uh, that was the level of coaching that you'd see in the games. And I, I just resonated with that so much because I was told early on that uh, it's like, Hey, call high. Hey, get in early. Um, yeah. It's and so it was like, well, what, what the hell does that mean, coach? How do I do it? You know, well, it's funny you say that because my son pitched up through his uh, sophomore year of college and arm injury did him in, but his college coach was yelling, throw strikes in the dugout. <laughs> and my son's 20 years old going, oh, that's it. I forgot. I, that's totally I forgot, forgot that. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't. I was trying to, to do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, we love what, what Dave's doing, though. Objective manager group is we're fascinated. We, in fact, that's a such a critical component, component of what we're doing because you can't just tell them, make more calls, go do this, go do that without understanding specifically what needs to be developed and to stay with the pitching analogy. Instead of saying pound the zone and throw strikes, now you can have metrics on arm slot, rotation speed of the pitch. So that you actually can work with data now to actually make very specific improvements. The same is true with salespeople, right? All day long, we all know we need to get an earlier to higher level, right? But here's what most salespeople tell you. I don't know what to say. And what they're really saying is I'm afraid to call on someone two levels above where I'm used to calling on. So if we need to transform this sales organization so they're getting earlier access at higher levels before the prospect is even shopping, you better have a take and you better have the ability and the skills and the fortitude to have bold conversations with complete strangers. And most sellers do not know how to do that. 
So you talk about, I mean, when you talk about transformation, you talk about a transformation. That's this isn't, hey, uh, Mr. Seller, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna give you a few scripts that are gonna help you help you maybe call up time. We're we're talking about we're talking about the fortitude, the confidence, the the support, the coaching, everything that they need to actually move themselves well up in a sales cycle and actually into the point when they're we, we all talk about it, right? But actually at a point that they're actually learning the priorities. So what what are some of the, Meg, maybe you can answer this one. What are some of the, how, how does that go about? What are some of the things that you do to, to help organizations make that shift? I was, I was having an interesting conversation the other day of a large organization with a, a manager and them talking about the fact that both leadership, sales leadership skills, as well as sales skills, in these past two or three years since COVID have really kind of declined. And what's happening is that, you know, a lot of people like their businesses did well, right, during COVID. Um, and they were taking, and this has been kind of the, the years of the inbound lead. Everyone wants to talk about inbound leads and qualified, warm, however you define that. But then sellers like to kind of complain about those leads because they're being brought in with multiple other vendors. And we really need to move towards re-equipping these salespeople and these sales leaders. And, and going back to you know the OMG and, and being able to find real coaching opportunities and where the skill sets are, are missing. Um, and not to define weaknesses, so to speak, but to really find specific opportunities to define what they need to do to be better, to ask the right questions, to get rid of the self-limiting beliefs, right? I have a, a huge love for, for self-limiting beliefs. And anybody who doesn't know what a self-limiting belief is, for an example, um, a seller's, a huge one is the need to be liked, right? And what that translates into is, okay, it's normal to want to be liked. But if I really need to be liked, that is going to prevent me from perhaps asking those tough questions, or perhaps challenging the views or or the old ways of thinking, right, about sales moving forward. So we really need, we really equip salespeople and sales leaders to start thinking in a different way, right? To start thinking about what is a priority? What are their business priorities? And how can you first learn about that so that you can align your product or your solution with that company's business priorities? Um, But that comes with asking really great questions and learning how to methodically take this process and to say, you know, we're here now, we'd, we're coming in too low, we need to have better conversations, we have, need to have more detailed conversations. And we have multiple ways and, and Brian can really get into kind of like the dirty details of yeah. how... Yeah. No, because I think that you mentioned this is not about a quick fix. And here's here's what I mean by that. I, in fact, I spend most of my days in front of CEOs of small and medium-sized businesses who, ha- who are spending anywhere from three to $10 million a year on sales, salaries, commissions, and marketing. And when they see the simple fact that 83% of the buying journey is done before their salespeople are even getting access, it's going to move to 90%, then 95%. And eventually, there's no need for salespeople when the prospect's already shopping. They can't continue to spend millions of dollars a year to be brought in at the last minute 
when everybody looks, sounds, and acts the same, decision-making teams are getting bigger, right? And it's just that bake-off or race to the bottom. So they have to do something, about, fundamentally do something about this. And I think that the next one to three years, you're going to see the sales function, the revenue function, go through its biggest transformation ever. Because we no longer can wait for a lead to come in to try and to try and win work, which is if you look at most sales teams, that's how they're built and structured. Marketing leads for crying out loud. They show up at the worst possible time when the prospects are already shopping. If you talk to a seller, when you if you wanted to see your margin get erased or evaporated, show up when the prospects are already shopping. If you want to grow your margin, create some market share, you got to go meet people before they've even started shopping. So how do you get an organization to completely look at selling differently to where I need earlier access at a higher level, right? We have to be able to define what it is that you do from a real impact perspective. You've got to be able to fully understand the threats that your highest level prospects are dealing with. And you've got to connect the two together, Paul, and do it in a way where if someone reaches out in 30 seconds or less, you can have a meaningful conversation about what matters most to their brain. Yeah, that is, uh, and that goes all the way back to your definition of sales, right? Which I wrote down here, your real impacts with your prospects first priority. So that takes a lot of work to get to. Tell me a little bit about uh, either how you do that. You can pick your path here, but I really want to know, you know, how are we driving that, that messaging? How are we figuring out how we work with our find that impact that we're connecting to the first priority? Because that's got to be messaging, questioning, skills. I mean, it's all of the above. Yeah, we, we call it your priority position, right? If you want access mm-hmm. to the priority level, because when you think about the, the phases a buyer goes through, procurement's the last end, right? That's when they're shopping and buying. But even in front of that, you have the planning phase. Do we have the time, resources, and money to pick and choose what initiative we're going to take advantage of? But even in front of that, Paul, you have the priority phase, which is where priorities, budgets are rearranged, right? It's what the organization chooses to do, the most urgent and important things for that organization. So the first thing an organization, a company needs to do is understand what is our real impact? And there's a couple of different ways. I think Meg can point us to some resources we provide. But how do you how do you develop your, your real impact? And, and when you talk to most sellers, like, why would someone choose you? The reasons you get are people make the difference or our process. And like that, that's noise. No, no one understands what that means. So for you to be able to start, you have to understand what the real impact of what you do to an organization. Then we need to identify what level do you want to start entering? I challenge every single sales organization, you must start two levels above where you currently are entering the sale now. The person that reaches out to you, Paul, for a quote or for a meeting, you need to be two levels above that person. So what are the threats that that person deals with on a day in and day out basis? What is it that that keeps them awake? What is it that challenges them, that that pressures them, that they will do something about? And then we have to play the matchmaker role. How is your real impact connected to in helping make that threat actually go away for the prospect? This exercise takes time, but it's also where value is created. Because I always ask this rhetorical question, who, Paul, determines your value when you don't define it and your sellers can't defend it? I'll tell you who determines your value if you can't define it, your sellers can't defend it, your prospect does. And by when they bring you in with two other companies who all sound, look, and act the same, right? they've determined your value versus if you really understand your value, 
guess what? You could have a conversation with the right person much earlier and actually create a sale. I don't know why this is hitting my brain right now, but but it is. This was probably 10 years ago, right? I, I believed that this was the case about 10 years ago, that there was a there's a marketing persona, right? We have a marketing persona and the salesperson's job is to turn that into what we say as a person. They have to make it real. The salesperson's job is to have a conversation to make that that, that idea of this persona of who we're going to go after actually have a conversation and operate with them. I think that that is starting to become the shift in my mind that we're we're getting to from a sales and marketing perspective where we're just starting to call it revenue, right? Yeah. Is the fact that you have to be in such alignment between what what marketing is thinking on that persona and then actually how you're describing that within you know this this idea of impact how we make this correct impact with these specific problems we all have to be able to to do that really really well at all levels of the company and it's not separate and and then no. sales sales is just the act of then being able to ask a couple more questions upon on top of that but even even marketing is asking those questions right we, we should be doing that the whole time at the top the top top level so can can I add to that Paul real quick yeah. cuz you're onto something and I, and this is why this is important um earlier I've said it a couple times that you actually have to go create a conversation with a complete stranger who is who is not looking for a solution they're seeking but they're not shopping for a solution, right? And that scares most people because they don't know what to say. So here's a couple tips. When people say, hey, Paul, I've heard great things. What do you do? A, do not tell them what you do because what you do gets quickly commoditized or discounted, right? And there's not a lot of value there. I shared with you earlier what we say to people as an example, when someone said, Brian, I've heard great things about what you do. What do you do? I said, Paul, what we believe is the biggest current threat you face is becoming a commodity in your prospect's eyes. And you know what's making it worse? Decision-making teams are getting bigger and they're ignoring your salespeople to the very end of the buying journey, driving a race to the bottom. And we believe, Paul, that your sellers are unprepared and ill-equipped to fight back against these three deadly seats, right? I kind of shortcut it a bit. Mm-hmm. What will invariably happen for our ideal prospect is they will say, wow, that's exactly what's happening to me. And what that means to me is I found a priority of theirs. May not be the tip-top priority, but I've built enough trust. And trust is built, as Simon Sinek says, when people believe the same thing. So when I share a belief with you, which we have to do as sellers, because we're the ones asking for time or attention, got to have a take. Here's my take, Paul. We believe this. And what will happen in my ideal process will say, that's what's happening to me. How do you help? Or well, my gosh, we saw that the other day. That just happened on the opportunity. And so these conversations start themselves. But you as a seller has to lead. You have to lead with a proper take. Mm-hmm. And it's only that take only happens. I call it your, your priority pitch, which is no different than an elevator pitch. When you understand the real impact of what you do, because you know what we really do for companies, Paul? We help them get earlier access at higher levels because your people are, we prepare and equip sales teams, right? So we have to be able to speak to our solution, but nowhere in any of this did you hear, well, we put, we do priority positioning and we do sales messaging. We, we build sales decks that win and we develop sellers. Who wants to pay for that? Mm-hmm. I've got 86 companies that want to do that for me, but no one's come along and understands my world in a way like you just said it. And, and we, 
companies have to, this is, this is job one, right? Before you go, I reckon anybody listening that wants to make the right next step, do not go hire another sales trainer. You better develop out your priority positioning because the world's accelerating around you. Your sellers are less and less vital to the sale. And we don't wish, we wish that weren't the case. And we need to fight for access. The only way you're going to get access is when you can articulate your impact in a way that speaks to a prospect's threat. Well, can I challenge you on one thing that you just said there? Please. You just said the seller is less and less vital to the sale. But what I heard you just say is that the seller is more and more vital to the sale. It's just where the seller comes in. Absolutely. And who determines your value if you don't define it and they can't defend it? So what I mean by that, if you're being brought in at the last minute by the prospect because they need three bids, they don't think you're that vital. I just need a quote. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, they'll just say, I'll just go to AI to help me. We're in, we're in the first inning of a nine-inning game with chat GPT or whatever, whatever AI app you want to say. But my point is when the prospect is shopping and you have no defined impact and your sellers can't defend it, your prospect owns your value now. You're not that relevant to them. So yes, you did, un- you did uncover this because salespeople, true salespeople are more vital than ever, but not if they're just going to help provide quotes and get information back to prospects because they're asking. Yeah, I think that I am in complete agreement with you. That part of the job is dying. And that part of, I mean, that of, of the profession, if I really look at the profession and you want to be great, I just, I completely agree. And but when we get, when you get that marriage and that the stuff that you're doing right now is, is, is so, so, I mean, our, our, our vision, right, is to elevate the sales profession is so critically important to not just elevate the profession, but to make the profession continually relevant. How are you seeing this, Meg, in market? Like, what are some of the trans, can you have a transformation story that you can tell me? Like one of your favorites? <laughs> Actually, there's a great transformation story. We just, well, we hear so many different stories from this one client of ours, but they they just made this like three and a half minute video all about specific case study of one of their clients. And this is a, a customer that is in the manufacturing business, but in the, the down and dirty kind of a, an American success story as well, right? They're doing grinding awesome. wheels, right? They're in foundries with guys who are just getting their bodies beaten up every single day, but they want to increase throughput, right? They mm-hmm. want to be able to help their their customers save time, save money, but really align with their priorities. And that means, you know, safety and less injuries on the job and products that last longer, right? So that they can complete more projects. And even if they cut 10 minutes, you know, per day, 20 times a day, that's huge. Um, And so this client came to us a little bit over a year ago, and um, nobody in their industry then and now are talking about priorities, right? They're going into these factories, and they're going to manufacturers and just saying, okay, how many of this SKU do you need? How many of that SKU? Well, but our client learned how to connect their real value with the client's business priorities of safety, of saving money, of saving time, of solving supply chain issues, right? And they finished their year last year. And and really what happens, let me back up a little bit, Paul. You know, what we find too is that managers and leadership 
where they go, so too will their sales teams, mm-hmm. right? So it's success, finding success through your sales team as a leader and being able to help them and coach them appropriately to what they're learning about priorities and, and questioning to priorities. And this organization embraced the priority sale and made it the common language um, throughout their company. And they finished, um, I forget the percentage above goal, Brian, do you remember the exact percent? But they blew it out at the end of last year and they're having an amazing first quarter and they 100% dedicate their success to what they've learned about the priority sale and about how to really align themselves and become more partners, right? And that also came from, if you think about when when you were saying earlier about um, marketing and messaging, right? So often, I feel like in my career, I've experienced and heard many stories where the messaging that you, that the buyer needs to hear in order to take an action of buying is not necessarily the message that is coming down through marketing or through your collateral that you tend to drop off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we really need to be, and Brian can touch way more on this about um, the primitive brain versus the rational brain, but the messaging is so important in how you communicate your value, right? We concentrate on messaging that is geared towards the primitive or reptilian brain. And I, and I point here, like everyone can see me point <laughs> Uh, you're not uh, just messing with your hair okay yeah i'm not fixing my hair pointing to that part of my brain and so our primitive brain is is what keeps us alive right it responds to the threats and the fears that we have it is the part of our brain that makes us take action and if we don't appeal to that part of the brain then we're just going to be one of 17 great ideas that never get acted on because we never make them a priority. We're never creating that messaging that hits that primitive brain that makes you say, oh my goodness, this is what's happening to me. This is threatening my business. This is threatening my revenue. And I have got to act because what Brian is telling me, I believe as well, we are sharing this and I need to do something about it now. This just took a turn. This is really cool. So, um, Brian, tell me a little bit more about this idea of you know, we got Meg up there driving, she's got driving revenue with a manufacturing company, doing through training, through messaging, through coaching. And then we take this reptilian brain. Like, tell me, where does that come from? Like, I, I get it. I get <laughs> it. But came uh, out of nowhere. Well, <laughs> let's think about how we prioritize what it is we do, right? So if you want to, if you want to crack, kind of crack the brain into, we have the rational brain and the primitive brain. Uh, you'll hear some Daniel Kahneman. He was a no, actually won a Nobel Prize in econ- and behavioral economics around his book Thinking Fast and Slow, and he calls it System One, System Two. System One is the primitive brain. System Two is the rational brain. And what all the research has shown and has proven is that our primitive brain is in charge of decision making. More than ninety percent of all decisions happen at the primitive brain level. This really becomes the root of your priority position because what you're trying to do as a seller is you're trying to get access earlier at a higher level. And I want someone to say, wow, that's exactly what I'm experiencing. I want to talk to you about that. And this is also proof that facts, figures, logic, and data never drive a decision. 
They only reinforce a decision that's already been made. But when you understand how the brain makes a buying decision, your primitive brain is responsible for making sure that all my threats, both physical and social threats, are mitigated. So our brains always seek to avoid danger, to avoid threats. That's really what drives all of our behaviors, whether you're inside an organization or a home. So when you understand how the behavioral side of how our brains make decisions and you can connect your real impact to their priorities, because to us, Paul, priorities are commitments to eliminate our threats. That becomes our priority, right? Because people don't buy every great idea, that do they? They don't act on every rationally great thing to do. They only act on a very few thing, few things, and those are priorities. And priorities are commitments to make my threats go away. So when we talk about getting access and someone to pay attention to what you're saying, you better be speaking to their priority, which if you peel it back, it speaks to a threat of theirs. If you think of the construct of our priority position, we believe the biggest current threat you face is blah, 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 right? And what happens to the primitive brain, it connects with it. And they say, okay, that's what's happening to me. I'm tired of being brought at the last minute. I'm tired of losing these deals that should be mine. Those become threats to somebody. And if they're threatening enough, they'll actually want to do something about it. Because we never connect with anyone for rational reasons, because it's too much noise, and we really want to use our rational brain because it takes way too much energy to actually use my rational brain. So I'm kind of shortcutting the whole education around the, the two brains, but it's it's the heart of finding someone's priority is you have to understand what their threats are, because that's what the brain will actually act on. Well, I, I grew up in social science, and one of the most flawed models like ever, and there, there's like nine of them that I learned, but is the is a complete rational model of decision-making, right? And that's because, I mean, it, it has elements, I know, but it, it never drives. It never drives. No, it's it, never the it driver. Supports. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been, this has been fantastic. Like, I, I think uh, we could probably dive in for another other three, four hours if we really, if we really chose to. One of the things that uh, I, I want before we leave, what are we seeing? So you're seeing the next one to three years as being one of the most transformational in in sales, right? What do you think we can do as an industry? I, I know we need to get up into the priority, but what are some of the the actions that you would recommend just to the industry that we take together that ensure that uh, we can make sure that we get in get in sooner? really, really drive the excellence in sales? What are some of the things that you, you think we should be doing? Let, let me start with, with some, some opportunity here, some hope and opportunity. Um, and this is why when I speak to leaders, I, I, I frequently share this concept because it's, it's crucial to leadership understanding is we can talk a lot about this era of value collapse. And what, I, what I've meant by that is that so much value is taken out of the equation that you may not need sellers anymore if they can't create value for you because AI will take over and it's not about, you know, just things will happen much faster with, with lower, lower margin. The same revenue function that you're seeing value collapse around you is also that same function that can create a significant amount of market share growth and margin growth. The same, the same function. So we have to understand the importance of this transformation. Because what who is seeing where we're seeing value collapse now actually can create outsized market share growth and margin growth. It's the same function. We have to see it that way. And what organizations must do, Paul, is they must obsess 
over when their sellers enter, where they enter, and how they enter the sale. Three key steps. Number one, they have to develop their priority positioning. And that consists of the simple question of why in the world should I take a meeting on this right now? Think about this. When you're brought at the last minute, all the prospect wants to know, Paul, why should I choose you over these three other companies that sound exactly the same? Why you? When you're trying to get a meeting earlier at a higher level, they're not even shopping. So you have to address two additional why questions. Why this and why now? I'm busy. Why should I talk about this and why should I talk about it now? First crucial fundamental step, develop your priority positioning, which allows you the confidence to have those and start those conversations. We need to do that first and foremost. Second, we must provide better selling tools for our salespeople. Meg, you found something the other day, didn't you? That 70 to 80% of marketing collateral never gets used in the selling process. What are brochures? They're cut sheets on features and benefits. That's not going to get you a meeting when the prospect's not even looking yet. So you must develop the right kind of selling tools that are designed to bring the right insights and the right connection to your prospect's challenges and threats early so they'll actually take that meeting. So we need access. We need the right tools. And third, we must upskill our sellers. I'm going to plug Dave Curlin's company. Objective management group. It's fundamental to us and what we do because when you understand, if you believe what we believe, that we need better access earlier at a higher level with influential people, I'm telling you, sellers are not upskilled appropriately to make that happen. Doesn't mean we can't get them there, but we can't just keep saying, throw strikes and pound the zone. We better find out what we need to work on so that we can throw those strikes more consistently. How about that for the callback? How about that for for rounding it all up? Look at that, Bo. Baby. Look at that bow. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. And that was Dr. awesome. I would love to add to, to what Brian just said. Um, you know, we actually developed a, what we call the snazzy title of an elevator pitch challenge. And I would like to make that available to all of your listeners. You know, and, and it's, it's something simple, step by step. But I would challenge sales leaders to ask. Um, their sellers to give them their elevator pitch. Um, and we would be happy to take a look at it and give feedback and see how the exercise goes because your sellers are out there and they're talking to people and they're saying something. But do you really know what? Meg, that is such a good idea. I, I call it the world's most dangerous exercise or yeah. the ultimate <laughs> truth here. Because, you know, in, in, in a, thank you, Meg. I didn't preface this by saying all growth begins with telling ourselves the truth. Mm-hmm. And as Meg mentioned, we have salesmen out there today saying things to people, and it might be nice as a leader to understand what they're selling, especially if you believe what I believe is your salespeople are the window to your relevancy. If there's watching value collapse in front of them, yet they can create value, why don't we find out what they're saying to complete strangers, Paul, when someone says, why should I take a call with you? But if you did understand that, we don't we don't put the 30 second time limit, right, Meg? We give them all the time they want. But when you get these answers back, you go, oh my gosh. And I just learned from Paul's podcast that we need to be able to get earlier access at a higher level. And this may not do it. You get me a link uh, or something that I could put in there to make sure that people uh people can connect with you. And absolutely, I think we'll get a bunch of people taking it. I, I recommend doing it. 
I think it could be awesome. I mean, one of the things, because I go back to your we believe statement, and one of the things that's really impactful about this, you just talked about Dave, Dave's company, but you know, I firmly, firmly believe, as you do, like we need to implement really strong methodologies that help people move up methodologies and messaging, right? Absolutely. A hundred percent. We got to empower people, empower the reps through coaching, and we have to enable them. You say not enough sales tools. Like I couldn't agree more, right? We have to empower people through both technology and tools that, that, that helps them do these things and helps them do themselves, do them more effectively. And it's got to be back to your point of putting a bow on things. It's got to be a bow. It can't be I don't think companies can do it piecemeal because if you try and do it piecemeal, if you try and go after things piecemeal, you get piecemeal results. You get one or two sellers that that are are good, you know, one or two sellers that know how to use the system and then know how to, you know, one or two sellers that know how to use methodologies. And they may be a superstar. They may get in earlier, but that's not what most companies are about. Most companies need to raise their their B plus players to A player, A plus players, and at least take the, you know, the C players to to the A, right? Yeah. It, Just you're and right, doing Paul. that, making that, making that top 50% shine is critical, I think, in getting all those pieces together, which is why we have such good conversations, because we can sit here and, and ramble on this stuff <laughs> fundamentally about, yeah, about you, how you to empower to sales. This. You have to do this because we, we haven't talked much about the world of acceleration, but that's really really what's driving the demise of the traditional sales rule. Mm-hmm. Um, acceleration is where not just the rate of change, but the speed of the rate of change is accelerating at the same time. And, and to your point, your idea about point solutions, you know, a little bit here and there does nothing but create friction. And friction is the enemy of acceleration. So you're right. We live in a world where ecosystems matter, right? That we can't keep talking sales does this and marketing does that, right? That's nothing but friction. And friction is really, really bad in a world that's accelerating around us faster and faster. I need to have you back on, uh, both of you, to talk about the rule of acceleration. I actually just had that conversation with my kids last night. Ah, I was nice. talking I was talking about the fact that I had a rotary phone. And they were like, what is a rotary phone? You know, and then, I mean, come on now. And then I was talking about my parents and how long my parents actually lived with a rotary phone. And then... You know, Man, people had the one and one two fast? three phone numbers were fun to do, but the yeah. seven eight six numbers. Oh my god, what did I miss? No call waiting. Goes back. No caller ID. You had to answer the phone to see who. We answered the phone. We actually talked to people. We had conversations. Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. Right. Well, you know, it's funny. I talk about fax machines. I love the question of Meg was texting out when you were. Uh, when you start a career, that's another. I, I like that a watermark in a sales career where, where people you texting. Can, you can, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how how well Trump, uh, trained are your thumbs is the question you ask there. Because yeah, if you've you been go. doing it since the start of texting. Right. Your, yeah. How about texting on the old phones? We had to hit the on the, the F. You got to hit three times the three button. Yeah. Three button. And then if you wanted an exclamation point, it was like nine. You know, you had to go after like, Oh, come on now. Oh, I missed it on that time around. I got to go back. I got to go back. Awesome. Hey, um, how do people, I, we are going to put the link in uh, for the, the elevator pitch challenge, the priority pitch challenge. That is awesome. Let's make that happen. How do people get a hold of you, you two, uh, re- regardless if they don't click that link? What are how how do they connect? Two ways. I think uh, number one, beatvaluecollapse.com. Beatvaluecollapse.com, which is what we must do as sales leaders. Value collapse will happen right in front of you, yet this is the time to start doing something about it. Also, you can find us at the revenue path group.com. 
Uh, we'll put links to both Meg and I in the uh, in the elevator pitch challenge. I, I do ask that you do that. There's no obligation. Not, no, the only responsibility is for you to find out the truth of what your salespeople are saying at their moment of truth, right? You got them in front of a complete stranger and they've got to win them over. So I think that's the first crucial step. So one of those three ways would be great. Can they I mean, fax you the results? No, please no fax. <laughs> on the curly paper? On the curly paper? There's something else, Paul, too, that, we, that we've developed. Um, you know, we developed a 90-minute webinar of uh, how to become a priority to really introduce the concept. So kind of dip your toe in the water see what it's about. You know, and anybody can come, anybody can, I'll send you the link for that too, but we have them once a month. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. People awesome. Know. awesome. Well, so hey, much. it has been both an honor and a pleasure to work with you both and to have this, this session with you both. I think it's gonna, you know, heck, who could not like listening to the three of us? Come on. I'm, I'm down with that, Paul Fuller. Uh, yes, exactly. You did a great job. So- <laughs> you are the host with the most, my friend. That's right. Thank you. I appreciate it. No, this has been awesome. And uh, we're, we're just privileged to have you as Membrane Partners. Thank you so much for being on the pod. And until next time, which we are going to be talking about, Rule of Acceleration, thank you so much. We'll right. sign off now. Thanks, Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Meg. Thank you so much for listening to the Art and Science of Complex Sales. This podcast is sponsored by Membrane and our partners from around the globe. Here at Membrane, we believe that B2B sales is at a crossroads. Due to decades of quantity-based prospecting, information overload, and really a shift towards efficiency over service and pitching over leadership in sales, customers are saying enough is enough. They're tuning out average performers and choosing to take most of the buying journey on their own. This results in up and down sales results, forecasts that are all over the place, and salespeople that are half committed due to the fact that they're having poor results and they have an inability to truly connect with customers. We believe the road successful companies are taking to combat this is threefold. Number one, training to create leaders and executives across all areas of the team with strong habits and sales methodologies that bring value. Number two, technology. Technology that focuses and helps a salesperson succeed and reinforces great habits rather than wasting their time on filling out fields for reporting or wasting their time on spamming customers that have no interest in ever buying. Third, talent. And I'm talking about talent that's empowered and emboldened to make a difference for their customers and their companies. So where are you on that journey? Membrane and our network of partners across the globe are here to help and to elevate the sales profession. We streamline critical technology by combining CRM, training and enablement, and more into one seamless platform. We drive best-in-class methodologies through our partners. They provide the top thought leadership methodologies and resources from across the globe. And our collective efforts are dedicated to recruiting, training, coaching, and empowering, and measuring the habits of the top teams in the world to ensure success. Join us at Membrane.com to learn more. And thank you so much for listening.